This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. There's two ways, well, I, I've thought of two ways we can look at this. The first is to look at it, the Bible, as a published book and see how that is in the news. And then have a look at some of the contents and see how we can perhaps see some of them might be in the news as well. Um, how do you absorb news from round about you? I know uh, I don't read a paper like that these days. Um, so I use more modern methods, shall we say. A lot of it from the telly, but more and more now coming from my iPhone. Or I shouldn't advertise, my smartphone. Um, if I'd left it turned on, they'd even be giving me texts every now and again to tell me how many wickets England had lost or hadn't lost, and information like that, which is my kind of news. Um, I guess I could also get it tuned so that it would tell me uh, when Liverpool score goals, it, it, when they're playing, but by, be that by the by. So, some interesting figures for a start about the printed Bible, we might call it. Uh, less and less I look at a printed Bible. Uh, I use my iPhone, my iPad, dear me, I'm advertising again. But before we come to the digital, let's have a look at the printed. Um, some figures. Since 1815, I don't know who kept these figures. Well, I perhaps do have an idea. That's the number, and I think it's five million, have been printed. Uh, and they've been printed in about 250 or 350 languages, near enough. Is it 50 million? 500 million. 500 million. 500 million. 5 billion then, isn't it? Yeah. Good, I couldn't count my notes. So, there we are. That's quite a, an amazing figure, and the number of languages. Th yes, this information is actually from the, what used to be called the British and Foreign Bible Society, but now is just known as the Bible Society. Uh, as well as translated completely into that number of languages, at least one chapter has been translated into 2,123. Uh, last year, they sold about four million in China. Now, I'm not giving you the notes, so you go down to there. Uh, and that, surprisingly, left still a demand. They're wanting more and more. And uh, I know very often we get emails from the Bible Society saying, please help us to buy Bibles for China. Still, what do I do? That little sign in the top corner there, which isn't very clear. Uh, each morning I press that and it brings onto my iPad the day's readings uh, according to Robert Roberts, which we listen to, read to us by an excellent American actor. This photo uh, is heading up an article in the New York Times and depicts the trend in the States. Uh, you can see there many of the congregation are studying on their smartphones probably now 
can't see very many now. Thought I might. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, in the audience there in the States, you can see that a lot of them are using digital communications to read their Bibles from. I'm assured that it's not, they're not looking at Facebook or anything else like that, but they are looking at uh, various translations of the scriptures in their own language. Here we have some of the information from the producers of that app, which are quite surprising as well. Uh, they tell us that their app is already installed on over 375 million unique devices. That's all over the world. And their app offers a free Bible experience for smartphones, etc. And then uh, some more details. They offer 1,895 Bible versions in 1,300 languages, all for free. And it's a remarkable resource. Uh, and it's there waiting to be used by those who need it. The last time I had it up using two languages where I met a Pakistani brother in Malta and he could bring up, what does he speak, Urdu as well as English line by line and I guess you can do the same in Farsi as well, which, which is a very great asset. So what does the Bible have to say about this? There are a couple of verses which I'm prompted to think about. The first is this. This was the commission of the apostles at the end of Christ's ministry before he ascended. When he told them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So, the question is, how far off are they from being able to say that the Word is available to all the nations. Similar quotation from, from Matthew. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The question again is, has that point been reached? Has the gospel been proclaimed <laughs> to all the nations? If not, it would seem it cannot be far, far away. And surely, as it says there, and then the end will come, is not far distant. This was the quote we find in the beginning of the Acts, when, uh, again, Jesus was commissioning his disciples before he ascended. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and old Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So it would seem to me that by this vast number of opportunities that are out there for people to look and read uh, the scriptures for themselves and to be guided and helped in that, it's getting very near the time when this will include all nations and therefore very near the time when our Saviour will return. I want to look now at some key messages from scripture. Uh, we start with the promises God made to David, who was the second king uh, he appointed to be king of his people. As we read it, he is settled, having defeated his and all the enemies of God, and desires to build a permanent place of worship for his God. Uh, 
in the words we shall read from Second Samuel chapter 7, God is telling him through the prophet Nathan that he is not the one to build such a temple, but that will be a job for his son. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Sorry, I missed off a page there. Never mind. In this way, David continues to give God... No. God is giving reassurance to David that he's not rejected him because he said, not you, but your son will build this temple. And he promises that one of his descendants will build a house for him and he, that descendant will be on God's throne forever. So Solomon was the initial son who built the temple but Jesus will be the one to establish the kingdom that will last forever. So here's the words of Gabriel to Mary as she is told that she's going to be the mother of God's son. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So, that was the message for Mary, to reassure her of what was happening to her, and prepare her to be the mother of Jesus. But for us, it's also uh, words that will tell us what is going to happen in the future. So for us, it's a prophecy about the future. Another key message. As those words Gabriel spoke to Mary that her son, Jesus, was to be king over all the earth, had not yet happened, they are indeed a prophecy for us. And they will happen as those words from the lips of Jesus tell us. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with power and great glory. But concerning that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know what hour they will come. That's the punchline. Uh, we can speculate, but we don't know for certain. We can see signs that say that it's not far distant, as we saw with the number of Bibles and so on. 
but it's in the hands of the Lord God to decide when our Saviour will return. There's a picture of lightning. And I put that there because of this quote we have at the, uh, in Luke chapter 17. The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there, do not go or follow them. For, I, for as the lightning flashes and lights the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. In other words, there'll be no argument about it when Jesus has returned. It'll be that obvious. It'll be seen right across the heavens. There might be speculation when he will return, but there will be no doubt about it when it does happen. And we pray, of course, that that be soon. Key message number four. Jesus is coming soon. Despite not knowing when, despite, you know, it'll be obvious when it happens, we know that by God's grace it's not far distant. Prospects for the earth at the moment don't look good. But these are the words, the final words of the Bible, which reassure us not to give up hope, to keep watching and looking and waiting. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And now a response to that. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then the final prayer, the final words of Scripture. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. So the underlying message from these key thoughts are that there will be How did we get from this to yet more of this? It's more than 25 years since Israel and the Palestinians agreed to make peace. Right now, as many see it, actual peace seems more out of reach than ever. Politics has shifted on both sides. In recent years, Israeli coalition governments have been increasingly dominated by right-wing, nationalist and religious parties that are more hard-line and don't believe that giving up land will bring peace. During the campaign for the last election, won by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, there was little talk of the two-state solution. Public support has fallen for this idea of creating an independent Palestinian state alongside Israel. Among Palestinians, a deep political split has left the nationalist project in disarray. On one side, you have the Islamist movement Hamas, widely seen as a terrorist group. It doesn't recognize Israel's right to exist. Hamas won the last Palestinian parliamentary election in 2006 but after infighting, ended up just governing Gaza. Then there's the Palestinian Authority, which governs parts of the West Bank. It's headed by Mahmoud Abbas, the aging president. He's led past peace talks with Israel. Nowadays, many Palestinians feel disillusioned with their leaders. Palestinians say their promised state is becoming less viable because of a big increase in the number of Israeli settlers 
living in occupied areas. There were just over 200,000 in 1990. Now the number is three times bigger. Settlers are seen as illegal under international law, but Israel rejects that. Palestinians say they won't return to peace talks without a freeze on settlement building. And here's something else that's changed since the 1993 peace deal. This wall is part of Israel's West Bank barrier. Work on it started during the second Palestinian uprising. Israel said it was to protect Israelis against attacks, but the Palestinians see it as a land grab, as it encroaches on land they want for their future state. Of course, violence increases mistrust, and thousands of people have been killed in this conflict in recent years. Many weren't soldiers or militants. Israeli civilians have been killed and injured by Palestinians in suicide bombings and rocket attacks and in stabbings, shootings and car rammings. On the Palestinian side, many civilians have been killed and injured in Israeli airstrikes or have been shot by Israeli security forces, mostly during operations or clashes. For a long time, the US had the job of peace mediator but the Palestinians cut off ties with the Trump administration, saying it was biased towards Israel. They're furious at its decision to recognize contested Jerusalem as Israel's capital and open this embassy here. And with the issue dropping down the agenda for Arab states, there's now no peace broker trusted by both sides. So... What are the highlights of that report? It's very recent, it only came out last Monday. But it seems to provide a more balanced picture of what's going on than reports we often get, which seem to be Palestinian biased, but there we are. Uh, it indeed demonstrates beyond doubt that that peace agreement made 25 years ago hasn't succeeded. There's still no peace. So <clears throat> we saw that the Palestinian movements are split in two. There hadn't been an election since 2006. Uh, that the Hamas is down in Gaza, ruling there, while Mahmoud Abbas is in charge of things on the West Bank. And their followers are being disillusioned. Similarly, with Israel, the government gets more and more fragmented and split between hardliners and liberalists and so on. I wonder if you noticed that comment from one of the Palestinians, that Israel had no right to exist. It reminds me of the prophetic psalm, Psalm 83. O God, do not keep silence, for behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. Israelis continuing plan of building more houses on, <coughs> on land which is claimed by both sides is becoming an increasing stumbling block. And that great wall built down 
the middle of the country is something which doesn't help peace and provokes it, one would rather think. We saw the evidence of continued <coughs> uh, killing on both sides, innocents in particular being killed as well as the combatants. And we noted too <coughs> the unrest created by Trump acknowledging Jerusalem or making, in his eyes, Jerusalem the capital of Israel and putting an embassy there. But no doubt he may well be heralding the not far distant time when Jerusalem will indeed be the capital with Jesus as its king. I want now to think a bit about more of the prophecies from scripture. Uh, and we'll have a look at a clip about the start of chapter 37 of Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the voice of the Lord. I will make breath into you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, and say to it, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. I want to pick out some of the some of those verses which is the first part of Ezekiel 37 but also to highlight some of, from the rest of the chapter we do this because to my mind we're looking at news in the Bible and prophecy is very often history in advance or news in advance so we take a look at this prophecy verse 11 from that chapter 37 confirms uh, that the vision is about the creator's special people, about Israel, who he still loves despite their sinfulness. O son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our homes are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. This was the land, the people of Israel in captivity. And Ezekiel is trying to cheer them up, trying to encourage them and send them a message of hope. And this vision of the dry bones of Israel being gathered together and reformed is part of a vision he relays to them to give them hope. And he carries on like this. 
in verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into a land, into the land of Israel. And so, in a sense, we get resurrection spoken of, resurrection of the nation and resurrection of people to be a part of that nation, all brought back to inherit God's land. Then verse 14 reads like this. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land then you shall know that I am the Lord I have spoken I will do it declares the Lord <coughs> this in a sense completes the pattern of resurrection and, but to complete that wholly they will need the spirit of God being breathed into them as the spirit of life was breathed into Adam at creation and we still await the fulfilment of that prophecy that the Spirit of God will be breathed into them. For at the moment, Israel is a very secular nation, far removed from being God-fearing. Of course, in one sense, they have been reborn, but yet to receive that necessary Spirit to be part of God's people wholly once again. Verse 22, And I will make them into one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them, and they shall be no longer two nations. The division of the tribes into two separate kingdoms would cease, and in, which is an indication that others, possibly non-Jews by birth, would join them. And even we could extend it to thinking that the two warring factions are, at present will be united, both being descendants of Abraham. Verse 24, my servant David shall be king over them. They shall have one shepherd, meaning David's greatest son and our saviour Jesus will be king. And verse 28, then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. So here the news is there will come a time when all nations will acknowledge that the Lord God is the one who makes his people holy and his presence with Jesus as king will remain with them forever. So I feel we see in these verses we have a pattern of the present and the future. Present and the future development for God's people to give them hope when all seemed lost, when they were all exiles. And it's a pattern we can apply to us as individuals before God. I'll say a bit more about that in a minute or two. Thinking of this, I often go through the exercise in my mind of seeing these headline verses, as it were, and imagining them to be the headlines in a newspaper, if it was there at that time, reporting on these things which are still in the future. Uh, and we can, you know, that helps me to get a grasp of these things, and perhaps something you can yourselves do. Just to say, I'm going to write a report about the time when the nation will be one again and so on and see what you come up with. I'd like to think now uh, about the steps leading to the establishment of that kingdom. These are steps, as I see them, shown in biblical prophecy. Others may see the way to the kingdom take other steps. 
But the end is the same. The hope is the same. The salvation we have in Christ is the same. We have time to look in great detail. Uh, but it's worth perhaps uh, reading, when you have a little time, some of these chapters. First of all, that Psalm 83, which we read. Uh, its prophecy could happen very soon. Such are the, is the unrest in the Near East. Israel could once again be scattered and then have a change of attitude and repent. And in response to their cries, Jesus will return as their and our saviour. A chapter which tells us something about this is uh, Zechariah 14. And we also have a picture there of Jesus with his saints reigning in Jerusalem. It's well worth a read. Back in Ezekiel chapter 38, we read of the Gogian invasion from the north and the ultimate destruction of those opposing God. And then overthrown. Psalm 72 is uh, well worth a look. It's a wonderful word picture of peace and righteousness spreading throughout the world with Jesus as king, bringing justice to mankind. In that section we read from Corinthians, we read of the 30-year reign, 100,000-year reign of Jesus, after which he hands the kingdom back to the Lord God and will become one with the Father. God will be all in all, was the concluding phrase we read. All these are chapters worth looking at and bringing to our minds a picture of what is to come, the news of what is to happen in the future. What does this mean to you and me? Biblical prophecy is, as we see, full of interesting future news. A lot of it relating to the nations, but as hinted, applies to us as individuals as well. So quickly, let's think about what it can mean to us as individuals. The establishment of the states of Israel in 1948 demonstrates that beyond doubt that what God <coughs> says through his prophets will happen does indeed happen so we can expect that what he has said about the future will also happen foremost being that second appearance of Jesus as Messiah we are in the middle of these foretold events right now Christ could appear at any time the hatred between Jew and Arab could break into war at any time with the provocation of that huge wall built through Israel for instance and the harassment of the Hezbollah rockets the indications are that Israel would not survive a fourth conflict they have miraculously though they don't appreciate it survived three already but a final invasion from the north as foretold in Ezekiel 38 could see them being humbled and seeking the help of Jesus and his coming as their king Israel will now become a place of peace as we've said until invaded from the north the important thing for us is that we can be a part of that kingdom 
if we commit ourselves to Jesus now. We too can be gathered, as we saw in Ezekiel 37, into Israel's kingdom by joining ourselves, committing ourselves to him, by being baptized into his saving name. Then when Christ appears, we'll be part of that glorious age. And if we've died before he comes, we will be resurrected to be with him. So then, Christ was asked the question, when will you return as king? When? Jesus answered in the words we've already looked at. That day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the only. Words we read in Matthew 24. And other words in that chapter, that Olivet prophecy, indicate to us the nearness of his return. Therefore, what is demanded from us are summed up in these words. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. There are some words from the Apostle Peter. And our prayer, our final prayer. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. And we echo those words. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.